Hey, beautiful humans. It's time to stop sacrificing for everyone else and put you first. Are you feeling tired, stuck, or disconnected? Or maybe you're just looking to be the best version of you. I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild, and this is Embrace, Embrace You First, a podcast to help you thrive and not just survive. We are busy moms, successful entrepreneurs, and doctors in the field of natural medicine with over 40 years combined clinical experience. You're going to learn from our professional expertise and our juicy secrets that have helped thousands of men and women just like you. We are going to teach you practical and doable strategies on health, relationships, and career. So sit back, relax, and get ready to embrace you right now. Today, we're going to talk about the vital signs. And you might recognize your body temperature, your heart rate, your respiratory rate, and blood pressure as vital signs, right? I mean, who doesn't know about that? Now, have you ever heard about the menstrual period as a vital sign? And so today, we're super thrilled to talk about this because we love talking about menstruation here. And we have Lisa Henriksen-Jack, and we're going to introduce you in a second. So just say a little hello quickly. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Tanya, do you want to do the honors? Sure. Lisa Hendrickson-Jack is a brilliant certified fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner who teaches women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. And in her new book, The Fifth Vital Sign, Lisa debunks the myth that regular ovulation is only important when you want to have children by recognizing that the menstrual cycle is a vital sign. Drawing heavily from the current scientific literature, Lisa presents an evidence based approach to fertility awareness and menstrual cycle optimization. She hosts the popular Fertility Friday podcast, a weekly radio show devoted to helping women connect to their fifth vital sign by uncovering the connection between menstrual cycle health, fertility, and overall health. Welcome, Lisa, to our show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what we notice right now behind your head. So for those that are actually watching the video, the book is right there. Oh, look, I love how you like, you know, show and display. It's awesome. It's a great book. And I was going to have it here, but I forgot that I lent it to some. It's so juicy and awesome that I had to lend it out. (laughs) So sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. And I think every menstruating woman, um, actually, maybe even men, could read about it because they need to learn about women right yes yes most men have a lot of women in their lives and the work that i do has really just demonstrated how wonderful and supportive men are because in my opinion they just want their female family members relatives partners and friends to be happy and healthy right absolutely well and in marriage like in marriage they usually say oh uh like a happy what is it what is it like a happy, happy wife happy wife is happy life happy life exactly <laughs> exactly so guys yes. need to learn about the menstrual cycle <laughs> absolutely okay yes. so let's start like let's take a deep dive yeah right so in. what is a vital sign we mentioned it right in the beginning in our intro but people don't know what a vital sign is so tell us what is a vital sign well it's a, a biomarker that provides us with real-time information about what's happening in our body. So if you take blood pressure, for example, not only does it give a real-time measure, so if you are with your, you know, at your doctor's office and they measure your blood pressure and it's too high, it's telling them right now that something's off, but we also know that high blood pressure in particular is associated with certain specific potential health conditions. So it gives 
the health professional a roadmap as to where to start looking for whatever's happening. And so with the menstrual cycle, it operates in much the same way. And what's interesting about it is that it also provides a real-time measure in the sense that if you're tracking your cycle, and so not just your period or just the whole length, but looking at all the different factors, including, you know, when ovulation is happening, if you're seeing cervical fluid as you approach ovulation, which is one of the factors that we want to look at, the length of the period of time between ovulation and your next period, which is uh, the luteal phase. And so we look at all these different factors and uh, we kind of take a look. You're also getting real-time information as to how this is playing out. And so someone who is trained and aware of the cycle and all its different facets would then be able to look at some of those discrepancies and help, again, provide that roadmap to lead to what could possibly be going wrong. Right. And then the other way around, it's like, what can we do to help it, Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because in this, once you, well, I think, you know, it kind of goes similar with the blood pressure example, because once you know what's wrong, then it also helps you to know what to do to support it, to get it back in realignment. And I think one of the major messages that I love to spread whenever I have an opportunity is that for, you know, an adult woman of reproductive age, a healthy menstrual cycle is simply part of the normal functioning body. Uh, It's not Mm -hmm. a separate feature. And so I think it should be just as strange. You know, we should think of it as just as strange if a woman is not having a normal menstrual cycle as if she stopped having bowel movements. We should we should think of them as her body is supposed to be functioning normally. um, And when she's healthy, she's supposed to be having a regular cycle. And, um, you know, one last thing I'll add to that is that we often think of the cycle, obviously, exclusively as related to reproduction. And, you know, if you're not actively trying to have a baby, like, what does it matter if you're ovulating? And we have receptors for these, you know, hormones, our reproductive hormones, estrogen and progesterone. We have receptors for those all throughout our body. And our menstrual cycle health is related to health in all kinds of different areas from our breast health and our bone health, even to our emotional health. So I think it's really important to kind of change that narrative on this. Absolutely. And, and, you know, then the issue is that it's kind of underground. We don't talk about it. Right. And commercials often, you know, start that by saying we need to hide our tampons and hide our menstrual pads. And it's like it's something that we don't discuss. And perhaps depending on what our modeling systems were and who our parents were, they often don't talk about it. So I think it's such an important topic. And we know about heart rate. We know about respiration rate and blood pressure, um, but we often don't know really how to measure those. So and and a lot of women I find in practice, they, they don't know anything. Like they don't even record their day one. So what are some just really simple kind of tools that a woman can um, apply in her life to just even what should she be paying attention to when it comes to the menstrual cycle? Mm -hmm. Well, I think like anything, there are, you know, degrees. It's like how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? So it doesn't have to be complicated for for women. Uh, You know, I've worked with women over the years who are simply tracking their periods. And I think that's an excellent place to start. So, you know, you can just grab an app or if you have a diary or a journal or something like that, you can just make a note of, you know, when your period is. And so the first day of your period is the first day of your true flow. And so some women may have some spotting or, you know, leading up to their period but when you when you start flowing and you have to do something about it that would be day one and you know I've worked with a number of women over the years because of course I teach my clients this very detailed way of tracking all of the fertile signs for the purpose of uh, you know birth control or conception but it doesn't have to 
you know, be that way. But what I would say is really important just to kind of, as a starting point, tracking your periods and starting to understand how long your cycles are. Because I'll, I'll hear from women all the time, like, oh, my cycles are like clockwork. They're always the same. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> no one is a robot. I have yet to see any woman who has, you know, 12 cycles in a year that are all 28 days. It's not a thing. Um, and even if your cycles are quite regular, though, you'll still see wait, some wait, wait, fluctuation. Wait. I, I, I want to stop you here because I want people to actually get that. <laughs> Right. I I want that to sink in because (laughs) there are women that track all the time. And then when they have that one off, it's like, oh, my gosh, there's something wrong with me. Right. And so you just address that issue. It's like, okay, no, take a breath and just know that not every single menstrual cycle is the exact same. You're human. You're not a computer bot. So um, <laughs> so what's helpful to know about that is that the average menstrual cycle length is about 29 days, uh, which mirrors the lunar cycle. If, if you, you know, I think a lot of women like that kind of interesting connection. Uh, but what that means is that on average, you know, a healthy cycle can range anywhere from about 24 to 35 days. And, um, you know, there's a strong argument to be made that a functional range could be a bit narrower, you know, 27 to 32 days or something like that. But the point of of this is to say that if you were to have a cycle that was 27 days and then it was 31 and then it was 29 and then it was, you know, 33, uh, all of those are examples of normal. And, uh, you know, that is one of the factors that we would look at. And it's possible to have an unhealthy 28 day cycle as well. Uh, so if we're looking at the cycle, I mentioned the, those signs that we're looking for. So we want to look at the quality of the period. When is ovulation happening? If you're seeing, you know, cervical fluid, at, you know, as you approach ovulation, what the quality of that is like. And then also, you know, how long between your, your ovulation and your next period. And so looking at all of those signs together tells us whether your cycle is healthy and normal. And so from the high level viewpoint, what you want to pay attention to is your period, you know, how long your cycles are approximately, not freaking out if there's a bit of a fluctuation. A true irregular cycle is one that varies more than about eight days from cycle to cycle. So we would want to pay closer attention if your cycles are regularly over 35 days or if you're swinging between 42-day cycles and 52-day cycles. See, then we're getting more into like, okay, let's, let's take a look at what's happening. I would also say that it's very helpful to start paying attention to your cervical fluid. So this applies if you're not on hormonal birth control because when you're on hormonal birth control, you're typically not seeing any type of cervical fluid and most versions of hormonal contraceptives suppress ovulation either completely or at least partially interfering with it so that's something that's really helpful but when you want to just kind of get your feet wet start paying attention to your cervical fluid and so that can look like creamy white hand lotion it can look like clear stretchy raw egg whites you might notice that there's a certain time of your cycle where it feels wet like you kind of feel wet down there you go to the bathroom and you wipe yourself and it feels really slippery and uh, you know I can remember when I was a teenager having that experience and not having any idea why and you know I went to my mom and she was like okay we'll just buy you panty liners and, and that was kind of the end of that uh, so obviously oh, now when I look so back no answers. <laughs> well and I mean obviously my mom knows a lot more about cervical fluid now but um, <laughs> but back then she, she wasn't equipped to teach me about it uh, but I think that is really really helpful to put it into perspective, you know, uh, because I get a lot of questions about, you know, teenagers and 
how this could apply to them. So imagine if you were a teenage girl or when you were a teenager and somebody told you that this really, you know, the cervical fluid, first of all, was normal and healthy and in a sense, magical because of all the things it can do for fertility. But when you're a teenager, what would matter is that it's a sign that you're ovulating and ovulation is like a superpower. And this is how we make our hormones. And we you know, might feel different levels of energy at different times of our cycle. But the most important thing is that when the mucus stops, when it goes away, you can start predicting your period, which is obviously why it's a superpower. So when you're tracking, even if you're just at a very basic level of understanding with your cycle, paying attention to your period, then starting to pay attention to when you see cervical fluid, which then typically leads to ovulation. Once that fluid goes away, your period tends to come within 12 to 14 days in a healthy cycle. So if you notice that it's, you know, if you start paying attention to it and you start to say, okay, when my cervical fluid goes away um, and, you know, I don't have it anymore for the rest of the cycle, I tend to get my period in about 12 days. That helps you to predict. So you never like, you know, you're never out there with no protection or something like that. So I would say from a very basic level, that would be, those would be the most important things to pay attention to. Yeah. It's such an important concept for young women to kind of grasp that. And I had a teenager patient who said, Oh, do you mean the sneeze? It's like a sneeze, you know, like that egg whitey discharge is like when you have a sneeze (laughs) and it like blows out of your nose and it's goopy. And I'm like, yes, that's such a great description. I'm going to use it for all of my young patients. And now I sometimes use it for my adult patients, my female, you know, the women patients in my practice. And what's, you know, what's interesting to note and just to kind of reinforce is that the, as you're saying, the second half of the menstrual cycle, that's what never changes. It's always time for menstruation to ovulation that can change. And what are some factors that can affect the time from menstruation to ovulation? So maybe it's delayed or happens really fast, like uh, too, too quickly in some cases. What are some factors that might affect the ovulation timing? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question because we can divide the cycle into two halves. Um, and I wouldn't say the second half never changes, but I would say that okay. it's much more stable. The reason yes. that I say that is because I mm-hmm. see women from, I mean, you do too, who range from different levels of health. <laughs> and so, yes. Yes. Um, but True. the first half of the cycle can, can fluctuate significantly. So um, the range that I gave for a healthy cycle is about, you know, 24 to 35 days. And so one of the biggest myths about the menstrual cycle is that it's always 28 days, but that it also ovulation always happens on day 14. And so even within the healthy range that I shared with you, if the cycle length can vary from about 24 to 35 days, that means ovulation could, you know, happen anywhere from day 10 to 23, give or take. And I think that's really helpful just in general to know that even in a normal healthy cycle, you know, if something's going to change, if your cycle is shorter or longer, it's typically the ovulation, like when it happened in the cycle that contributed to that. Uh, but even though I'm giving this range, it's certainly possible for ovulation to happen a little sooner than that in shorter cycles, you know, like 21 day cycles, or in cases of where there's actually something underlying happening, where ovulation is delayed quite a bit, you know, if you have a 52 day cycle, for example, let me see how good I can do my math, but it probably means you ovulated around day 40. Um, And so that's certainly not day 14. Um, And so that's something really helpful because there's a lot of myths around that, especially women who do have these long periods of time between periods, you know, often thinking that they're ovulating more than once and that kind of thing, especially if they are tracking and they can see their cervical fluid patterns. So if they're seeing like, I had a bunch of days of cervical fluid and then they went away and then I had a bunch more days. So sometimes women will interpret that as like, oh, I must have ovulated twice. But ovulation only happens once in the cycle on one day. 
And so if your cycle is really long, even if you see a few mucus patches, those are indications that your body is kind of trying, you know, your hormones are rising. It's kind of trying to do its thing, but then something's happening to prevent that. And so going back to the vital sign. Oh, I just, I'll just conclude by saying like going back to the vital sign aspect, like those are signs, like when your body's struggling to make this happen, uh, those are the signs that something underlying is happening. Yeah. So recognizing the vital sign is off and then you can get help to address that. Totally important. Um, Are we all meant to be ovulating with the moon? You mentioned the lunar cycle and I'm always excited when I see the moon, you know, shining and and, uh, I'm ovulating. I'm like, woohoo, I'm ovulating with the moon (laughs) because I was a regularly irregular cycler growing up. And yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah, no, that's it's it's such an interesting concept. And I think it's it sounds so romantic, you know, that we're all (laughs) supposed to be ovulating um, with either the new moon or the full moon. Um, and or menstruating with it. And so what I would say is, I don't know the answer. I don't know if we're supposed to be. I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I looked into the research, which was really interesting that there actually is research about the men's, you know, the cycle. And, um, and so what the research was saying was that, you know, women ovulate or menstruate with the new moon or the full moon kind of like higher than what you would think for a random level. And so some women actually then start paying attention and notice, I don't, again, you know, I see too many charts to actually expect that it's always, you know, perfectly on the time. But it's interesting, if you're interested in this, and you start paying attention to the moon, you might notice that ovulation or menstruation tend to happen, you know, either on the new moon or the full moon, kind of, you know, not all the time, but kind of more often than what would you know like what would be totally random and Mm -hmm. that's what the research suggests and so i think that that's Mm -hmm. a really interesting concept and i also think it's interesting that you know when you look at all the different studies on the cycle length and all of that that i mean they all kind of fall around that 29 ish day um, overall average right and so but i mean for for what it's worth since you asked the question um if you look at women throughout their reproductive life so when a, a woman has her first period uh you know there's a, about a three to five year period where her cycles are normalizing where the average cycle length is more like 45 days so during that phase of development and i always use an example so when i was going through that puberty before i started getting my period i had you know, the breast buds, and it took several years before they developed into full adult breasts. (laughs) And so I think the same idea in a way applies to your cycle, because all of these different factors have to fall into place. Um, The communication between your hypothalamus, pituitary, you know, ovarian axis, and all of those different pieces. So that's something interesting, because then if you're 16, you wouldn't necessarily expect some, some of some 16 year olds have perfectly regular cycles, but you know what I'm saying? Um, it it typically takes a bit longer. And similarly, when you are in that 10 years before your last period, so the premenopause phase, that can be a time where your cycles start to shift. And so some women will see that their cycles shorten. So they start ovulating sooner in the cycle. And so their cycles start to kind of 28 days, 27 days, 26 days Mm -hmm. um, for a period of time. Others just continue. And then the two years before you expect typically more fluctuation. So that's just a little caveat. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like we start off life and go through puberty and our brains are yelling at our ovaries and saying, wake up. And so there's this like five to 10 year transition. And then you go through perimenopause and the same thing happens. But this yeah. time they're quietening and you're just always adapting. Right. It's, it's oh. pretty. I think waking, like I, I think the screaming 
is a little extreme. I, I guess know. you just say that. You know, it's just waking up. It's developing, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but we're but our rule as healthcare practitioners is to kind of you know help you adapt so that you know that, that there isn't the the ignoring the the ovaries are listening and so there mm-hmm. isn't the screaming. It's more just like you're saying, like we're just kind of supporting those phases because so, it can be pretty messy yes, with the stress it, it, and yes. the lights of the city, yeah. which I think. There's a book that I read a long time ago, so I don't remember all the details, but the red tent and how women used to kind of uh, sit in the, I love the, that the red too. tents and menstruate together. And I think with the lack of city of the in, in the lights, they yeah. were, you know, in the darkness. And so they would ovulate often with the moon. I don't know if it has something to do with that, the darkness and the lights of the and city. Together and together as women. Together as being women. together, yeah, right? I mean, that's yeah. the thing as well. There's this electromagnetic field. We communicate. We're energy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, don't you find about, you hang out together all the time yeah. and you menstruate together yeah. at university that used to happen. Well, my roommates, we always would end up bleeding together. So yes, right? Exactly. So it yeah. is a thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Huddle together, menstruate together. Yeah. <laughs> COVID time, so it doesn't allow that well, so much. But. So so here here's the thing though. I mean you already discussed this earlier, but Oftentimes, right, like you're a teenager and you may develop acne or like unwanted other kinds of symptoms or cramps and you go to the physician and what's their first line of defense? Obviously, the birth control pill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then, oh, my gosh, now what? Like you can't, you know, you're giving all these wonderful tips about let's look at the menstruation. But what we know is when we're put on the pill, all of a sudden everything's falsified. Do you want to speak to this? Because I know you're very passionate about this topic. (laughs) Well, I mean, sure. The birth control pill, especially for like when you're talking about teenagers, there's a few factors, I think, that should be considered in my perfect world before just going to um, the pill as the first port of call. And one is one one of the things we just discussed, which is that there is this natural maturation process that takes place when you first start to menstruate. And so if you have a 14-year-old girl who has been menstruating for, you know, a year or less and her cycles aren't regular, that is not necessarily an opportunity to put her on birth control when we know that there's this period of time uh, at least during up to the first five years, you know, and in some cases, maybe a little bit longer, but we know that there's this maturation period. So there are women who are then obviously put on the pill to regulate their cycles when they're a teenager, but their cycles were literally just developing. Um, there's also research. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, our cycles are about more than just having babies. So there's a, a a lot of research about the interplay of estrogen and progesterone in terms of bone development. And so the work of Jerry Lynn Pryor is really interesting in that respect. And when you put a young woman on birth control for an extended period of time, and she's no longer producing her natural progesterone, her natural estrogens, there is this, uh, you know, evidence to show that she may never reach her peak bone mass. And that's because we you know, if we're unmedicated, we're living our lives and we don't actually reach our peak bone mass until somewhere in our 30s. And so mm-hmm. um, this is <laughs> who's talking about this, right? Which doctor who's putting, you know, teenage girls on birth control is talking about this. So this isn't an argument to say never use birth control, but it's to say that, um, you know, if you are using birth control to uh treat some sort of a problem it's helpful to know that it doesn't actually treat that problem what it's doing is getting rid of the symptoms so if this young woman has acne if this young woman has um, 
pain or irregular cycles or something like that, it can, in some cases, of course, you know, reduce those symptoms. But the analogy that I currently like is, you know, if I were to buy a cottage and, you know, I buy it and there's an issue with the water main. And so every time I turn on the water, it like spews out everywhere. So, you know, the pill to solve period problems is like me just cutting off the water and expecting that when I am ready in the summer to go to my cottage, I'm just going to turn it on and it'll be fixed, except I didn't actually fix the hole. And so I think that it's, again, like you can use the pill for symptom management if you need to, you know, whatever, but know that it's not actually addressing the root cause and know that you're just literally kicking the can down the line. And at some point you're going to have to address whatever the underlying factor is. For joining us, click subscribe, like, and share. Please comment and suggest topics you want us to cover. Until next time, ask yourself how you're going to embrace you first today. For more podcasts, check out embraceyoufirst.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.